0: Well, Merry Christmas again to you this evening. It's good to be together in worship. I want to, um, to bring some focus to the question that can often get obscured in the busyness of the season, which is what about the meaning of this whole thing that we're celebrating Christmas? We're, today is the fourth day of Christmas. Uh, Savannah was singing the 12 days of Christmas this morning in our kitchen, which was beautiful. And uh, so we've got eight more days to go of celebrating this Thing that we call Christmas and I want to do this in a simple way by focusing in on the name Emmanuel that we read out of Matthew chapter 1 but also which comes uh, originally in Isaiah chapter 7 used 700 years before it's used by Matthew which means God with us, God with us because in that little expression the meaning of this name Emmanuel we find the actual the heart of what the Christmas season is really about and this Christmas event is all about. But it doesn't mean much if all we hear is God with us and we don't really think, well, what is God? Who is God? Uh, Who are we? And then what does it mean to say that he's with us? So I want to stop and just focus in on each of these three words. God, first God, then us, and then finally with. So that's the plan. And I hope as we do this that the miracle uh, and the profoundness of what we are singing about tonight will become clearer. So the first is God with us. Uh, I suppose that it goes without saying, actually, that there are lots of understandings of the word God in our world. That this is a contested, um, this is a contested word. Recently, I, was, um, tur- I turned on PBS at one point, and Deepak Chopra, who's one of the spiritual gurus of our age, uh, who gets a hearing among many in our world, uh, he's just published a new book entitled The Future of God, A Practical Approach to Spirituality for Our Time. And the, ta- the, the, the show was quite disturbing for all kinds of reasons uh, that I won't go into now, not the least of which it was filmed in this chapel in Manhattan with a very clearly screened audience that applauded at unique times in the message. Um, but the tagline of this book that, he, uh, that he's using to promote the book is this, find the God in you that transforms everyday life. So his basic message is God is actually in here. And you just have to look deeper to find him. In a recent interview, he was asked, how do you hope God will be perceived in the future? And this was his answer. He said, my hope is that God will be the recognition of the divine in every being, which would lead to love compassion and joy. Now needless to say obviously this understanding of God is incompatible with Christian theology. Uh, It confuses creature and creator in a fundamental way and it locates the divine within all of us. Now obviously we're made in the image of God and so there's something of the truth contained in that idea of looking inside Um, At the beginning of his Institutes, Calvin says, you can't really know God without knowing yourself. You can't really know yourself without knowing God. So there's something true here. But it fundamentally distorts the the reality, the biblical reality, that God is fully transcendent, uh, wholly other than. So when we say God with us, uh, we believe that the God that we're speaking of is the God who's revealed himself in the biblical texts. And I want to note just briefly three things about God. First, he is the creator. The creator. God is the eternal self-existent creator of the universe. This is how the Bible begins. In the beginning, God created. There's something distinct in the Christian understanding of God by understanding that he is the God who made everything that we see. When we affirm God as creator, we also affirm his providence. That is, his sovereign upholding and direction of the entire universe that he has made a universe that is distinct from him but that that in unique ways reflects his glory as we look at nature and it clues us into his power and strength this idea of God as creator Uh, we often sing this children's song in our house um, our God is so big so strong and so mighty there's nothing our God cannot do wind and waves do his bidding and nothing as we heard about last week is impossible for him so God is creator. Second, God is holy. This is the one adjective of God that's used three times in the biblical witness to describe him. It's the only one that's used three times in a row. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it means that God is completely separate or set apart. The holiness of God is honestly one of the most under-emphasized attributes of God in our day. Deepak Chopra's understanding of God wouldn't contain within it really a sense of holiness because holiness isn't about within, but it's about what's separate and set apart. We tend to see God in our day and age with a casual kind of chumminess. You know, he's our buddy and we relate to him very casually. But but the scriptures reveal the God who is holy and therefore is actually, interestingly, also seen as dangerous. When he appeared on Mount Sinai in this pillar of, or in this, this cloud and fire and smoke, he says to Moses, Go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Now well, that doesn't square a lot with our understanding. He then also says, Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. After Israel makes the golden calf a few chapters later, God tells Moses that he won't go up among them lest I consume you on the way for you are a stiff-necked people. And then Hebrews 12, 29, quoting Deuteronomy four twenty four, affirms that our God is a consuming fire. So this picture of the holiness of God, which is very clearly a significant central attribute of the God that we mean when we say God with us. But he's not just powerful and he's not just holy. And this is where we get the reality of Christmas. But he's also radically committed to his creation. That is, God is a God of the covenant. A radical kind of commitment. His covenant with his people Israel in the Old Testament was a covenant not just to bless Israel, but to bless all the nations through Abraham and his descendants. The covenant is God's answer to the invasion of sin and evil in the midst of our world and in the midst of his own image bearers, you and me. So this covenantal nature of God speaks of his steadfast love, his radically committed love to Abraham's descendants and through them to the world that he made. So what about us? God with us. God with us. Who are we? And obviously this is another contested question. Uh, Are we the product of the mindless evolutionary processes who are dancing to the music of our own DNA as the atheist scientist Richard Dawkins once famously said are we masters of our own fate stuck in the world for reasons that we really can't know or understand but determined by our own grit and will and strength to make the most of our existence must we find our own path and create our own reality the idea of go get it be all that you can be the early bird gets the worm you can do it this is the common way that we understand who the us is that's Those of us left here to kind of make something out of nothing. But honestly, this approach to who we are doesn't really work. Just in the past few weeks, I had a conversation with somebody in his early 40s who was just diagnosed with cancer. And in those kinds of situations and circumstances, we realize just how out of control we really are. That the mirage of control that we live with most of the time that we can create and manipulate our circumstances and situations, is in fact a mirage. We're powerless in face of situations like cancer to manipulate the world to become what we want. So that leaves the question then, who is us? Who are we? Are we the great beings who can build skyscrapers that can resist earthquakes and not crumble? Who can write concertos that are beautiful to listen to and fly planes faster than the speed of sound? Or are we the masterminds of so much suffering, engineers of the atom bomb and of Auschwitz, complicit in a worldwide economic system that appears somewhat indifferent to the plight of the two billion people who live on less than $3 a day? There's a lot of ambiguity in how we approach this question, who are we? But the biblical answer to this question is quite clear. We are creatures made in the image of God, Made wonderfully and beautifully made. As his image bears, to shine his image throughout creation by our benevolent rule over the created order. That's the the lofty, dignified part of who we are. We're the height of creation, noble. And yet, and there is a yet, obviously, in the biblical understanding of us. We are rebels who resist the benevolent rule of God in order to be our own masters. We've distorted his image and erected our own images in his place, as the people of Israel did back in Exodus. We worship lies and we pursue the glory that comes from man. Enslaved by sin, we are actually unsound. And as a result, we are dust. And succumbing to death, to dust we shall return. We're a mere breath, a shadow, a worm withering grass, fading flowers, and these are all biblical expressions about humankind. As rebels, we are enemies of God, and therefore we are guilty by nature, children of wrath, as Paul says. The problem with us isn't just skin deep, actually. It runs to the core of our being. It's invaded and tainted every cell, every ligament, every bone, every emotion, every will every mind the us in god with us is not that pretty so what about with and and when we get to this word with we then begin to understand the miracle that we're celebrating at christmas god with us god with us the powerful holy transcendent god with us the sinful rebellious death people. And by with, we don't mean simply that he's come to comfort and to guide and to encourage and to cheer us on as a great cheerleader. The other day, someone was telling me of his offer to his neighbors. This was a Christian man telling me about an offer that he made to his neighbors whose 10-year-old son had just broken his leg right at the growth plate. It was a terrible accident. And they were going to the hospital and he called them and said, hey, do you want me just to come and be with you? And they said, yeah, sure. And this was a great display of Christian hospitality and charity. So he left and he went and he spent, I think, something like 24 hours with them at the bedside at the hospital. But the width of Christmas, God with us, is so much deeper and so much more profound. It's not just coming to be near. It's not just coming to visit in the hospital room, but it's actually getting into the hospital bed. And taking upon himself the self-inflicted sickness that, inf- that inflicts, infects us all. And taking it upon himself. It's this kind of with that God with us actually signifies. It's this kind of with that is worthy of the lights and the presents and the parties and the celebrations that have characterized cultures across the world for 2,000 years in celebrating this profound event of God with us us. It's summed up best in John chapter 1. The word who was with God and the word who was God became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the deepest kind of with that is possible. He became flesh. He the holy and the powerful and the transcendent God the eternal word became human became a human being became a man became a baby. And when we understand why the why of the with we start to see the fireworks of the season that we're celebrating tonight and for the next eight days. He came to rescue us, the ones who were made in his image. This with us wasn't just to encourage, but it was to rescue. It was to set free. It was to redeem. Us, the ones who were made in his image, but who had thwarted that image through our own rebellion. Despite God's righteous judgment towards rebels, God's love evoked a deeper response a merciful response, a saving response. And as the passage that we read from Matthew 1 tonight states, the other name of this son born to Mary, which is Jesus, which means Yahweh saves, as Matthew explains, for he will save his people from their sins. That's the why, to come to rescue. Writing about the incarnation 1700 years ago, Athanasius said this in his little work on the incarnation. He has been manifested in a human body for this reason only. Out of the love and goodness of his father. For the salvation of us men. It was our sorry case that caused the word to come down. Our transgressions that called out his love for us. So that he made haste to help us. And to appear among us. The holy and powerful God who would consume us with his dangerous transcendent glory, laid that glory aside to take up our very flesh in order to redeem it, to redeem the image that he had made and that he so deeply, covenantally loved and was committed to, in order to bring us back to him, the one who is our life, the only one who is our life, despite our looking for life in all kinds of other places. His image, God would have it be, would not languish in sin and death forever. He loved us too much and too passionately for that to be the case. And it's the passion of that love that is the source of the incarnation, of God becoming flesh. Only in this way could we be redeemed and rescued. The eternal word takes up a human body in order that in that body, sin and death, which is the consequence of sin, might be dealt with once and decisively and for all. Again, Athanasius said it like this, thus taking a body like our own, Because all our bodies were liable to the corruption of death, he surrendered his body to death instead of all and offered it to the Father. This he did out of sheer love for us so that in his death all might die and the law of death thereby be abolished because having been fulfilled in his body for which it was appointed, it was thereafter voided of its power over men. The author of Hebrews says it similarly, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things in order that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. This death opens the pathway to new and full and liberated life, true life, to the restored image of God no longer enslaved to sin, but now alive to God alive to life. God with us. This is Christmas. This is love. Now that's easy for us to hear. Some of us have probably heard this so many times that it just passes through one ear and out the other without much notice. And if you're in that category this Christmas season, having a hard time this year being moved by the, mirac- the miracle of this story then I would encourage you to contemplate again these three simple words. God with us. To be cloudy about any one of these words is to miss the power and the wonder of Christmas. To be clear about these words, biblically clear about these words, is then the fountainhead of joy and the motivation of the Christian life. To close, Paul says 2 Corinthians 5 He says, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This love that controls is a love that begins in this birth of Jesus that enabled the saving death of Jesus. It's a love that begins in the humility of the transcendent God to take on human form and become just like you and me. To become one of us. To be with us. That's the power. That's the fireworks. That's the beauty of this Christmas season. Emmanuel, God with us. Amen.